0: This episode of the Speech Science Podcast was brought to you by Presence Learning. If you're considering a career in teletherapy, you need a therapy platform built specifically to deliver therapy assessments and tools remotely. Rachel, have you ever had to jump into teletherapy?
1: I have. At the beginning of the uh, pandemic, I had to switch to teletherapy with a bunch of high schoolers, so that was very fun.
0: What was one of the hard parts that you saw when you were doing teletherapy?
1: Just the engagement, you know, they they weren't as into it. it. The technology, they're not as comfortable with Zoom or whatever platform we were using, and it switched all the time, so it was a little confusing for them.
0: Well, Therapy Essentials, which includes the presence learning therapy platform, is so much more than the average video conferencing tool. It was designed by clinicians for clinicians, specifically to deliver therapy and assessments Online. Rachel, you could have used the Presence Learning platform and its content library full of games and activities sortable by age and interest. Would that have helped? That
1: for sure would have helped.
0: You could have personalized your therapy and keep your clients engaged. Also, it has assessments from top publishers.
1: For more information and to start your free trial, visit PresenceLearning.com and click on our platform.
2: The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect reflect the the policy
3: or position position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of this show do not constitute recommendations for
0: therapy. Please Please contact contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation.
3: Please listen carefully.
2: What is communication?
3: essential behavior of life. We have the uh, both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another.
2: It's
1: transmitting a thought from one person to another.
3: It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other.
1: The back and forth between two people.
4: Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, or thoughts, or names. It draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we belong.
2: Whatever it is that we do to express is and a achieve an impact.
4: Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information.
0: Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 156. I'm Matt Hot, a speech and language pathologist in Ohio working in the schools and in home health care uh, with dementia and stroke rehab. Joined, as always, by our pedia- oh I was going to call you Pedialite. pediatric <laughs> expert Michelle Wintering down in the heart of Texas. How are you, Michelle?
2: I'm doing well. Hi, Matt.
0: Hi, and the PTSD SLP herself. Man, you got to get more letters behind your name. Down in Florida, Miss <laughs> Rachel Archambault. I also muted you, Rachel, so you have to unmute yourself. Hi, How are I'm you, sorry. Rachel? i'm
1: good i was chomping on a cheese stick my apologies
0: yeah i gotta turn that <laughs> down we are on a audio version of everything uh michael McLeod, our executive functioning expert should be joining us uh later in the show and our adult expert she's seeing the show hairspray tonight so she is unable uh, to join us on air have you guys ever seen hairspray i've never watched hairspray yes i've
1: have I have seen hairspray seen the the movie. Yeah, haven't seen it live either. I would love
2: to see it live. It's one of my favorites.
0: My wife and I always talk about getting season tickets to Broadway shows when they come through town. And then we realize we only like about three of the six shows coming through and we end up never doing it. So I'm always jealous of people that can go to all those shows.
2: I I would love to get a membership to something like that. A season pass membership season pass, right?
0: Uh, uh, Either way, whatever you want to call it there is no Broadway police that are going to stop you from calling it whatever you want. Thanks. You're welcome. (laughs) On today's episode, we've got our shout out. We got our due process, uh, the new what's up with Asha. This one is interesting because it has something to do with OTs and dysphagia. Also, we're going to check out what in the world is the CDC do CDC doing uh, with their milestone updates. And of course, uh, Rachel brought us a article linking mono and MS. So we'll be talking about that as well, but we want to hear from you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And on the website, you can also make sure you sign up for the Presence Learning Therapy Essentials giveaway. Uh, we are recording this on February 24th, and that goes until the end of the first week of March. So make sure you go onto our website and sign up for the Presence Learning Therapy Therapy Essentials, it's a one year subscription to Therapy Essentials, uh, and we will be picking a winner on episode 157, I believe. Is that right, Michelle?
2: Yeah, coming up next.
0: All right, so as Mike McLeod logs on, we'll be checking in with him in a moment, but Rachel, let's check in with you. How has your week been?
1: My week has been pretty good. Um, today, Today was one of those days that you think things are gonna go smoothly and then every problem just one after the other after the other (laughs) happened. And just at the end of the day today, I just fell back on the couch. Oh, and my air conditioning stopped last night in Florida. So I had a technician here today helping and I just remember like feeling the hairs on my arm go up and I was like, I feel a chill. And that was just the best part of my day for sure.
0: See, in other parts of the country, we're worried about maybe having a snow day tomorrow, and wow. you needed yeah. your air conditioning turned on. We're having an ice <laughs> ice storm.
2: You know, well, I, even in Central Texas, well, it was two days ago, it was 75, and my son and I were washing our car, and then yesterday, it was 30 with a negative 11 wind chill. So in Central Texas, that's pretty cold for here. Wow.
0: But you know what, though, Rachel, I understand. I was talking to somebody the other day, and was talking about how this school year nothing bad has happened like huge like walk away quit the field but it's just a bunch of little things that have all kind of stacked up and uh yeah i get it man i really do michelle how has your week been
2: well with this crazy temperature change it's been throwing me off a little bit because i have no idea what to wear but other than that it's really less about me and more i don't know how to dress my children (laughs) So I just put them in layers. Yeah, just layer them up.
0: Let them take off everything they off at have daycare. Enough to wear,
2: but um, their school was closed today. They, Why? Uh, twice a week because of the ice that we had. What it was ice? That weird. The really icy roads here. Um, just because of that freeze, so it was uh, in between with rain and snow. So it just made the roads pretty slick here. And unfortunately, unlike in Ohio, right, they don't salt the roads and everything. So there's so not um, traction. <laughs> Uh, fair. But I also do kind of chuckle because being not from the South, um, I'm like, what do you mean there's no school for 30 degrees?
0: Not everyone has coats and boots, right?
2: Yeah, there are a lot of people wrapped in blankets.
0: Oh my I goodness. <laughs> See, you know what though? And I'm calling Rachel out because she's a Floridian. Like my wife and I will go down to Disney at Christmas time. And at nighttime, it'll drop to like... 58 or 60 degrees 70 and
1: degrees
0: <laughs> 70 and my wife will be like in a sundress and i'll be in shorts and like a thin hoodie and then other people will be looking at us like we're crazies because they're in like full winter regalia and we're like y'all this is like toasty this enjoy this
2: i think it's regalia that's a big word regalia yeah i think it's the same comparison though when you live somewhere with four seasons in the fall when it gets cold people start like bundle up like crazy but as soon as it hits that same temperature in the spring they're in shorts and tanks tops because they're excited you're about right it. you're right so i don't know i think there's a trade-off there plus there isn't there science behind the fact that your blood thins out i thought somewhere. that was
0: proven as false is that is real it?
2: i don't know I'm, I'm asking i legit don't know
0: uh,
1: i don't know if that's actually a thing but i have heard from people up north that come down here during the winter that the cold down here is a different kind of unbearable like the humidity has an extra factor that it gets into your bones and it's so much colder i just we had the coldest day of the year last month and there was a woman in the elevator from new jersey shivering and she's like i made my son drive me back here to get my coat i'm freezing and she's like this isn't like me so I, i've had that experience with people that are like it's not a joke it, 70 degrees here is a different kind of 70
4: or a 50 is a different kind of 50. and
2: the um, like drastic change is the hardest part to me when mm-hmm. it drops in a day 20, 40 degrees i'm like oh come on
0: all right so one article <laughs> says that as it gets colder our blood becomes thicker which can cause clotting, and that's why there's more strokes and heart attacks in the winter. And then another article says the concept of developing thinner blood by moving to a warmer climate is only a myth. So,
2: so you have okay, thank you. The, the only answer there's...
0: I do have is that your blood can become thinner as you get older or thicker, depending on how much water you drink.
2: Interesting. So, so either way,
0: <laughs> Mike. We're not going to ask you how thick or thin your blood is, or what oh, regalia hey. you're wearing. How has your week been, my friend? Uh, it's been it's been a good Mike week. Mike, like my regalia word, I've been playing a lot of Wordle and Quordle, guys. So, Mike, how are you?
3: I am doing well. Uh, I was able to see some friends this week up in New York. Went back to New York and saw some old college pals, which was awesome. Uh, and just been just came back on Monday afternoon because we had a four day weekend. Uh, and just been right back to it this week.
0: Love it, dude. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Um, let's see. For me, uh, it is middle of crazy sports season, so we have made districts again. So every year Come I've on. coached, yeah. For every year I've coached, I have sent my sent either two individuals or my whole team to districts. So it's kind of fun to say that.
2: Go coach, hot.
0: Um, and in the process, a old coach, my coach that I had as my sophomore sent me pictures that I had that were taken of me and my buddies when we were sophomores. Uh, so that was uh, interesting to see the fashion times uh, of what I looked like when I was 15 years old. So that was fun. Um, and then also I am now playing oct have you guys seen this? Nope. No, no way. They always
2: keep me updated on online. I'm games,
0: going to so share, I'm going to share this with oh, you gosh. and we're not going to play it. We're not going to play it because it's stupid, crazy, but it's, it's like Wordle, except you have eight screens that you're playing at the same time and you only get 13 tries. And so like when you guess a word, you got to figure out in which puzzle does the oh. letters fit? And this
2: is Wordle leveled up. A, I don't like Wordle it. Wordle
0: times eight.
2: That's too much. So
0: that's There's what too I've been much playing. scrolling
2: going on. I just want, I, I want it all I on screen. If I have to scroll, <laughs> I, lose, <laughs> I lose interest.
0: So, no, other than that, oh, I also had my uh, evaluation and I have been recommended for continuing contract. Whoop, whoop. Wow.
2: What
0: that so, uh, I don't know what that means, but I think that means that I can't be fired as easily as if I didn't have a continuing contract. Okay. I don't, I don't know. It's a big deal. The union said it's a big deal, but you know.
2: Okay. I guess. Yet, I don't
0: know. <laughs> oh man, we want to hear from you. Head over to our website, speedsciencepodcast dot and also check out that presence learning giveaway up there hey so we have our ss pod shout out and the ss pod shout out uh hashtag ss pod shout out is an opportunity for you to tell us somebody that is doing something awesome or somebody that is going above and beyond or somebody that we should be recognizing for what they are doing and we felt with everything that's kind of happening in the world again we're recording this on thursday february 24th uh and in the real world outside of therapy, Russia has currently invaded Ukraine and over, I believe, is this the medical SLP page? Rachel? Yes. Brooke Richardson had kind of put out a uh, APB for anyone that's over in the Ukraine. And I found this one from Oksana. Lyalka. Lyalka, I apologize if I have butchered your name, but she says she's the chair of the Ukrainian uh, speech language therapist organization. And at the moment, they just need prayer and consolidation with our army that fights with two countries at once. So uh, shout out to any uh, SLPs that are, you know, still going to have to be doing their jobs in the middle of whatever this turns into. So,
1: And I would also like to extend that to Other SLPs that have been in war-ridden countries that are now experiencing re-traumatization from this, um, please take care of yourselves during this time.
0: And families of the military. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, it is the SS pod due process. That is something where if you want to bring it to us and we can discuss uh, that is your opportunity, hashtag SSPod uh, due process. And we got one that is a follow-up to the resume conversation we had a few episodes ago. Uh, they wrote in and said, as an adult coming from another career, how much of your old career would you put on your new resume? Coming
2: I put from none. Outside of SLP? Is that? Yeah, I'm
3: guessing. Yeah,
0: none. None. Especially if
3: you've been in the field for a while, there's really no point.
0: Well, it says as an adult from coming from another career, so I'm guessing like Michelle and I both had other careers and then came right. into the speech therapy. And I put I none still, of my old I career still have on it. Some
2: of my old stuff. Do you I'm, really? I'm going to push the other way because it depends on what the job was. Well, True. I mean,
0: when I hosted the speech science podcast, I make sure I mention that I'm a radio host in my previous days. But like, what else?
2: Yeah. Well, for me, I taught. <laughs> but I worked with people with developmental oh disabilities, yeah that's right and I taught so for a long time that was still on my resume and if it's directly pertinent to a job I'm applying for I'll put it on there because I do think it shows experience with a nonprofit it shows experience with a certain population it shows experience with um, dealing with other like you know case managers and people outside of speech pathology so I think it really is dependent on is it relevant to the job that you're applying for But
1: if you're completely out of the field or something, do you just stick with your grad school, like internships and everything? Or are you going to say, oh, I once was like, I was a dog groomer or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. is that information of what you've been doing for the last 15 years helpful? Or is it your grad school internships and who you've been working with that are more pertinent to this job?
2: I would prioritize it literally in order of what's the most pertinent. So, you know, what are they going to weed out the most quick, the quickest is, do you have your license? Do you have your C's? Um, So that's at the top of my resume, right? That's where, do I meet the bare bones qualification for this job? And then I put everything specifically related to that job that I'm applying for. And then I put other related experience, which might be other SLP experience or other things connected from there. And if I have room in my resume, like if I'm doing one page, two page, Depends on what form you have to fit it into sometimes. Then I would add, because um, I do think sometimes it's interesting to just have on a resume or it might intrigue somebody to see, oh, for 15 years they did X. You know, So maybe having that in there would be significant because they're like, yeah, I want to bring this person in. They've got a wealth of some other field, some other experience that may be worth an interview, even if they ha- makes don't sense. have a lot of SLP experience. You no, know, I was actually
1: told in grad school to remove bartending and hosting and all that I did to put myself through grad school from my resume, because it showed like a moral issue that some people might Whoa. not agree with. Fascinating. And, yeah, but how long, how long ago
0: did you graduate?
1: I graduated from grad school in 2016 okay. and I actually had the, um, we had an aphasia house at UCF and. The director of that said that she loved the fact that i was a bartender because i could deal with the clients that had outbursts way better than anyone else because i knew how to handle my drunk clients like so it it (laughs) was you know she she loved that and she didn't agree with that statement on the resume so she told me to put it but then when someone's telling me That, you know, if you're applying for a school, they look down upon drinking and stuff like that. I'm like, I'm what I wasn't drinking on the job. (laughs) Other people were, you know,
0: I think that's so funny, though, is that times have changed significantly, even the last five years on, like, what is acceptable and what's not acceptable. And I think a lot of times what grad schools try to do is, like, produce these little cookie cutter therapists that are like, hey, here's the bare minimum you need to do to just kind of get hired. And after that, it's, it's up to you. But yeah, I've, I've worked in school districts where they're like, please don't drink in the county that you're in. And then in other ones, they're like, yeah, just uh, we're gonna have an open bar in the gym. So please don't spill anything uh, on the floor because that's gonna be hard to clean up like yeah
2: i i I know i answered that with our whole resume discussion of saying it really (laughs) is dependent on the job but but it is because there is in certain areas of the country there's a huge need for speech pathologists in other areas Mm -hmm. it's a little over like there's there's saturated need oversaturated but um in the places in the jobs where there is a big need they're going to look at the first few things on your resume do you have your license and your c's and and that's all they need now, other jobs that are more competitive, maybe somebody who is a bartender is gonna stand out or has that history, like you said, Rachel.
0: Do you think it's an age thing too? Yes. Okay.
2: Absolutely, yeah. Well, yes. that was, uh,
0: I was hoping more of an answer on that, but yeah, I guess yes is the right answer.
1: <laughs> no, and I think that also goes along with tattoos, and I can have that discussion forever. And I mean, my sure. school that I worked at, we had like memorial tattoos, and it was a bonding thing between the teachers and the 18 year old students that had like Aww. chest pieces and stuff. Oh, wow. And, yeah it was it was we had like a yearbook thing about it but just tattoos in general i think people i I am shocked when i see on facebook posts like i have a little thing on my wrist is it okay if i go into a school and i'm like are we we still doing that and and i know in some places they are like i'm very lucky that i'm in the place that i am um that i get to see all this like beautiful artwork on on people's hands and their you know history teachers or whatever um i think that's really cool
0: I mean, on my TikTok rabbit hole I spend my lunchtime on, there was someone, there was like a dental hygienist or whatever, and she had like neon green hair. And her response w- was to somebody who was like, if I came in and you were my dental hygienist with that hair, I'd leave unprofessional. Side note, I love the hashtag unprofessional, but whatever. But like, yeah, I, I mean, maybe we are still doing this. So I
1: think in some places, but I think for the most part, we are changing to be more accepting, I hope, I, I that's my hope.
0: So Maureen, I hope that answers your question <laughs> on should you or should you not put stuff from your previous career? And the answer is may- maybe. Maybe. Depends on what it is. <laughs>
3: Depends. <laughs> Run it by us first. Send us your resume. <laughs> We'll take a look.
0: Hey, uh, who did that? Who was that we had on air? I feel so bad that I forget her name. Maureen? Ah, No, it wasn't Maureen. The one that came in to talk about the resume.
2: Yeah, she came on last minute on an episode. It was great.
0: I'm going to look through my Facebook messages real quick.
2: Her name
0: was... She's probably listening and she's like, how do you guys forget who I was? Nothing like Matt going through his inbox dead air. Dead air. (laughs) <laughs> was it Meryl? No, it wasn't Merrill.
2: <laughs> oh if It makes
1: you feel better. I looked at him. She had a really him. unique name that I
2: loved, She but did I think of it.
1: That is true. When I saw Matt at Asha, and I looked at him, and we had just done the interview shortly <laughs> before that, he was like, "Did we go to grad school together?" So it don't feel bad.
3: Did we go to grad school together? Goodness gracious! Oh
0: uh, man! Yes. Um, I still feel terrible about that because you like <laughs> spotted me as I was coming up the escalator and I was like I have no idea who this person is
2: well I still think it's at like all that, Mike I feel like I've 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 known you for what four years and I know I met you in person yet
3: <laughs> it's crazy
0: uh, <laughs> anywho I'm it's- much better much better through the screen if you have a due process or an ss pod shout out please do not hesitate to reach out uh and you can email those in as well speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com all right let's jump in to the biggest news on the therapy realm right now and that is the cdc's changes to developmental guidelines so in a nutshell the biggest changes that, that they have done is they've added checklists for ages 15 to 30. They have identified social and emotional milestones. They've removed vague 15 language. 15
2: months and 30 months.
0: Yes. Clarify. 15 to 30 Sorry. months. Did I say yes. years? I apologize. You no, you 15
2: just... 15 and
0: 30. 15 and 30 months. I apologize. Remove some vague languages like May or Begins and then also have shifted the the percentages from what was, I believe the 75th percentile down it to about the 50th. 50th. Per- oh, it yeah, was at it the was 50th. 50th.
2: And now and it's the 25th? It to the 25th percentile. 25th percentile. 25th okay. percentile, rank, But it means 75% of kids at a given age meet that that milestone.
0: Yes, yes, okay.
4: Yes. Okay. I had to think about that. Okay.
0: (laughs) 25th percentile. If I put a hundred kids on the wall Mm -hmm. at the 25th percentile, they need to be doing this at the bare minimum, which means that there are at least 75 other kids doing that or more.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: So on paper, I don't understand how anyone could be upset with this.
2: Right. So (laughs) surface level, surface level, we have to remember they're not hypothetically, theoretically, they're, They're trying to adapt this to make it more user-friendly so that people can look at their website. And for example, the 15 month and the 30 month, any parent knows that those are typical well-child visits where you're supposed to take your kid into their pediatrician. So as a parent, I like the fact that they're now saying, Hey, like we're showing milestones that line up with when your kid is typically seeing a pediatrician. So from that standpoint, I'm like, okay, that's a check in the positive box. But some of the stuff that sort of stood out to me and I've been looking at the CDC website, looking at summaries on other websites that other SLPs have pulled, um, is that we, they, the CDC has said that they are issuing this to try to make it so people will not just wait and see when to identify their kid, and I'm assuming maybe that's because, okay, so now we're saying 75% of kids have met this by 30 months old, that the pediatrician is going to be more likely to give a referral if they don't meet those milestones. I think the problem is you're already missing kids who would need early intervention before that. So, um, okay. You've got a lot of kids who are doing that. 75% of sk- kids are already doing those skills. So a lot of 75% of parents are going to fly through that checklist and be like, yeah, my kid's good. But what about that 25% who maybe could have used help three months, five mm-hmm. months before? And so that's the biggest thing. They haven't changed the norms, but it seems a little, um, it seems a little haphazard. And for me, working in pediatrics and this being my my expertise and then having my own kids going through a lot of these developmental milestones as well, it just feels inconsistent. Like some of them sound appropriate for a given age and some of them seem like, whoa, that's like, I would want to see a kid well before, for example, 30 months old, if they're not using approximately 50 expressive words.
1: Didn't yeah. they also say something about, uh, from the PT or OT side, so, uh, erasing crawling as a mi- milestone? I didn't check Yes,
3: that I one. saw that. Crawling okay. is crawling is no longer a milestone, yes.
1: Okay, so mm-hmm. that I know from the OT and PT side was a major thing that we like to know when our, our kids are crawling, at what age that is, and just to go from they're immobile. <laughs> they're not doing anything. Yep. And then now they're they're walking. That's, that's a big gap of milestones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that was another thing. Um, but Asha put out a statement, right? They put out a statement saying mm-hmm. that they disagree with the CDC's decision to change these milestones and the fact that SLPs were not involved in yes, the that. discussion. Uh-huh. That is the main thing. Um, I'm trying to pull it up. They're in the process of analyzing the revisions. Um, it, it It's just, I don't know how to explain how they just came up with this decision. Um, and I think also the interpretation of this decision has gone a little bit wayward on social media. For example, I've seen on Instagram the last week, um, SLPs as well, posting that the statistics or the the milestones that the CDC has suggested, suggested, and kind of saying that this is due to the pandemic that masks have caused this change in CDC milestones, and they're sweeping it under the rug. Um, I I just I don't think it's clear, Um, like Michelle was saying that it's meant to be like parent friendly, and, and I think it's missing the mark in a lot of ways.
2: Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's causing people because of this timing. Do I think you should relook, um, you know, checklists and how we help parents and we help families and we help professionals, including pediatricians, appropriately refer to pe- people like us? Um, you know, I do want that information out there. My issue with this is that you know the timing as well. Just like Rachel said, is making people think, and I've seen memes shared around about it of the CDC says the pandemic hasn't impacted development but now they're changing the milestones and i would clarify at least that at least what i've looked at and then some of the summaries i've looked at as well have all said and if you look at the citations on the cdc website they're looking at studies from prior to the pandemic at least what they list as their sources so it's not even taking into consideration um, any changes due to covid in in language communication social emotional milestones so i think that yes that's that's something we should be looking at and considering with kids in early intervention but um these norms these milestones aren't considering it
3: what was their motivation for doing this who the cdc yeah
1: i don't think we we have a reason for that other than michelle was saying to Um, be more parent accessible or friendly
0: Yes. Yeah, so in there, uh, they have a press release that I saw on WPTV, uh, actually on West Palm Beach. Uh, and it said that it was done to uh, update the last time it was done was in 2004 as part of the CDC's Learn the Signs Act Early campaign. Uh, so it was done to allow parents, what is it? To identify a child, or I'm sorry, the earlier a child is identified with a developmental delay, the better treatment as well as learning interact interventions can begin.
2: So they're saying that this is going to help better identify that's, that's kids. That's what
0: they're saying.
2: What a lot of professionals, including myself and you all and other people I've, I've spoken to about this, feel is that it's going to under-identify people. And my worry is that it also would give another reason for insurance companies to not approve services
3: mm-hmm. there you okay. go there that, you go so that's
2: probably my biggest worry is that now you're going to have a documented reason that insurance companies are going to be like well that milestone's not until x so
3: michelle nailed it to
2: cover it yeah that's, that's very it
3: true. that's it that there you have it right there
1: And now Mike's going to go into a tangent about capitalism again. There we go. So
0: I I, I do want to say this insurance companies in general. So they've also got a little app that I'm trying to mess around with for my daughter right now, which is Uh the CDC has a new milestone app. So I'll punch those in here in a moment, but like the old way wasn't working. And Mm -hmm. I'm upset as well that the people that know development seem to not have been part of the conversation.
2: It said or, they had what a dozen, it just said experts mm-hmm, in development right. and it included a special educator and a few other people. No, I didn't note any physical therapist, occupational therapist, right. or speech pathologist.
0: <laughs> but so. the problem with the old way was too many pediatricians were already not recommending therapy or early intervention.
2: Or and I've experienced it. Pediatricians would say, oh, just right wait till
0: they they're walking so they'll talk a little bit later or uh x y or z so like i i can kind of see why this was even started because the old way wasn't working the know the signs act early campaign didn't result in a lot of early intervention help because there's too many kids that were still showing up you know in kindergarten or first grade with Deficits. I mean, there is there's a a buddy whose son is pretty hard of hearing that they didn't know about until first grade hearing test, mm-hmm. and the pediatrician missed it for like seven years.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I don't I
3: don't yeah, know.
2: And the pediatrician is seeing them for mm, let's. Matt, a, Matt eight has eight this
3: devil minutes. advocates thing down pat. We can make the best argument against something and then he'll come right back saying, you know what, the old system didn't work.
2: Well, and I, I, I'm with Matt on this, that it it needed an update or needs, and I say still needs an update, let's be honest. <laughs> the new update is not sufficient. Correct,
3: but the um, problem is, is that uh, you know, they, they did not consult with
2: the specialists
3: right in, with the right people in this area, exactly.
2: Yeah, because if I'm a parent, not an SLB parent, and I pull up this page, right? that the CDC has this milestone list. I can check through different ages that actually align with my child's well visit. And it does have a little box on the side that says, this I think is a positive. It says, if you know your child best in bold, don't wait if your child is not meeting one or more milestones, has lost skills they once had, or you have other concerns, act early. Talk to your child's doctor, ask about developmental screening, ask for a referral to a specialist, Call your state or territory's early intervention program. So that is in a little box on the side of this webpage. And that sort of thing I really appreciate because a lot of people are not going to click through the rest of the, the norms, right? Mm-hmm. But like we said, it's the the SLPs were not part of looking at this because I'm looking at, from my perspective, pediatric SLP, these motor skills that involve feeding. And I'm looking at this language development stuff. And unless I missed it, there's also word count again. Verbal words are only one count. But I don't see anything about a verbal word count other than 30 words, no, 50 words at 30 months. And I think they said attempting mama and dada and a couple other words at another oh. milestone. So from a verbal language, from a nonverbal language, from a motor skills for feeding side, it it just seems to miss the mark. It it almost feels a little bit random as to which skills they put under each block.
0: So, okay, so I just messed around with the app for my daughter and and anyone listening to the show knows that she is uh, deaf on one ear, partially deaf in the other, and is missing part of the vestibular system. And so I kind of filled it out as best as I can. And there were questions on the social side, language side, cognition side, and movement side. And it's kind of like a little checklist app. And some of the language side questions were, now she's almost 17 months, responds to simple spoken requests, yes, not sure, not yet, uses simple gestures, blah, blah, blah. And when I got to the very back page, it says, because you selected not yet for a milestone checklist item, uh, it may be time to talk with your doctor about your child's development. So, I just
1: found it. I just found an Instagram post. uh, Five good reasons the CDC left crawling off the milestone list. Dot, dot, dot. What
0: are they saying? It was
1: five slides of nothing.
2: Who, who are you going to credit for that? Go okay, ahead. so this was grow well
1: PT, <laughs> grow well PT, and that I was looking for some information and that just caught me off guard. I thought that was really funny, but it's true that this is PTs, OTs, and speech that were not included on this CDC milestone, you know, discussion and it's being misinterpreted and it's also, you know, we were, we were left out of the discussion to, to help talk about what we know best.
4: Um, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and Not are good. the pediatricians that they talk to going to, you know, remind everyone of our intro to stats class and uh, how many times in my career I don't know if you all feel this way that I've driven a drawn a simple bell curve to make sure that what I'm explaining is clear because it gets frustrating for parents to hear 25th percentile, 50th percentile, and we tend to automatically think on that one to 100 scale when mm-hmm. really that's not what a bell curve is either so this i feel like there's there's not good information on this webpage to remind people and even remind professionals including slps that this has shifted their descriptions have shifted from being at the 50th percentile to 75 percent of kids to the 25th percentile
1: and along the lines of what you're saying michelle with like showing parents the ba- the bell curve of where they're child is falling, if they're in the 25th percentile, that is a scary thing for them to see. And uh, one person I follow on Instagram is speechologist. And, um, I've been learning more about like neurodiversity affirming practices, especially in our field. And this, um, SLP always talks about how like falling below the 25th percentile doesn't mean there's something wrong with the child that needs to be fixed necessarily. And I know parents can have differing views on that. But the word wrong or um, there, there's areas in which they need support. But wrong is a different kind of word. And having milestones. Is the development of a primarily neurotypical child, right? So when you have children following different paths, it's a little bit scary, especially for parents. So I think this is just another thing for parents to worry about, um, that things are a little bit different than what they were.
2: I would just add to that. I, I I feel that my, my biggest takeaway reading through the website, and I haven't looked at the app that Matt did, um, is that some of it is more user-friendly, is more accessible for parents to match up with these developmental norms and taking your kid to the doctor for a 15 month and 30 month well child visit Um, but my worry is that it would give reason for insurance to deny something um, for early intervention and then secondly that it could potentially because being in pediatrics and being in early intervention um, I've talked to a lot of parents and I've talked to pediatricians to ask them please don't wait until two words together two word phrases by two years old, because that was what so many people were taught, um, pediatricians wise and other early development people to say a red flag, if they're not putting two words together by two years old, I would much rather, and please someone write in and let me know what your thoughts are if you work with really young kids too, I would rather see a kid at 18 months old, if you feel like there's a concern with them picking up verbal and expressive language than wait until two years old Because just like we know, the referral process can bump that until they're 30 months old, they're two and a half, before you're going to actually get in for services. So I would much rather have a doctor write a referral at 18 months and be able to get them in by two years old than be like, okay, at their two-year-old well-child visit, now we're doing something. So that's not changing. I feel like maybe this will remind doctors, I can hope, my one positive would be maybe this would remind doctors like hey if they haven't met this milestone refer now like don't don't wait because this is a higher percentage of kids who who would meet this by now
0: so when i did the little app and i marked a couple of the not sure's or not yet's, and immediately it comes up and it says uh, you have noted concerns or selected not yet or not sure for many, for some, for, for some milestones, please visit cdc.gov find early intervention, find EI, or go to cdc.gov concerned. And then when I click on the little button that says show doctor, uh, it says, uh, and it's a nice big old list. And it says, these are the things that were marked as not occurring yet. And these are the m- ones that are marked not sure. So it kind of gives a nice list right away to go with what you were saying, Michelle.
2: To let parents advocate a little Mm -hmm. more.
0: Or to even know what to advocate for.
2: Uh Yeah, it's just hard because I feel like you have to have like education on- A speech therapy degree to understand your child's language development. To really feel like you can advocate for it. And you know, I have a friend who's a PT and her daughter had gross motor delays and she felt like- it still took her at eight months, she wanted a referral for PT for her kid. And she is a pediatric PT. And she was still told, no, no, not yet. We don't refer for that yet. Again, at a year, again, like it wasn't until 18 months that they finally gave her the referral. So she was trying to be mom and PT. And that's, I mean, that's hard. And that's someone who is in this field, who knows what the norms are, who knows what to look for. In a young kid, and still had trouble getting that referral. So, maybe, hopefully, this could could help with that, I guess. But it just right. seemed to miss the mark with how it was developed and um, for sure. And who was missing from that conversation? Mm-hmm. And you know, give a shout out to our friends, right, Matt at the Informed SLP. If um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their their webpage um, has a free access, you don't need a membership. Um, if you want to read a little bit more, of course, look at the CDC page, but they um, did a nice summary analysis of, um, of this <laughs> and, uh, and of the norms and how they were developed. So um, it's a good thing. Go take a look over there and, and sign up for a membership. They're friends of ours.
0: <laughs> we'll have the, uh, the link down below. Um, I think this is a good time. We'll take a short break. Head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and let us know your thoughts on the updated CDC guidelines. You're listening to Speech Science.
4: And now for our regular research review brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. When to be a meerkat, alert but not alarmed. This is a review of the article, Feeding Problems as an Indicator of Developmental Delay in Early Childhood, published in the Journal of Pediatrics. Does anyone else think meerkats are adorable? Seriously, adorable. Arguably, one of the most characteristic meerkat behaviors is when they stand on their hind legs, alert to danger but frozen still, sniffing the air to find out more about the potential threat. Reading new work from Putnik et al. made us think of these little critters. They know when to be alert but not alarmed. This group examined parent-reported feeding problems, broadly defined as mealtime distress, food refusal, and oral motor issues. They looked at over 3,500 children at 18, 24, and 30 months of age using the Ages and Stages Questionnaire, or ASQ. Usually, an analysis of feeding problems from a few items in a questionnaire wouldn't give us pause but this group then went on to do a formal face-to-face developmental assessment with a subset of 601 children at four years of age, which added a lot of value to this study. Interestingly, they found an increasing association between parent-reported feeding problems and developmental delays on the ASQ as the children aged. Children with reported ongoing feeding problems at 30 months on the ASQ were also more likely to present with developmental delays at four years of age using formal assessment. Removing children who had congenital malformations or who were multiples and or ex-preterm from the group did not change the outcomes. This study suggests that parent-reported feeding problems early in life may be an indicator of developmental delay. That is, a report of early feeding problems should be a red flag for developmental screening. Reported feeding problems persisting into the third year of a child's life may be a bigger indicator for concern regarding development. Feeding problems? Up pops that little meerkat head, alert but not alarmed. Let's keep an eye on things and provide help and support where needed still having feeding problems over three years? Step up that status and take some action, little meerkat. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP.
0: We'll be checking in with the article linking Epstein-Barr virus and uh, MS here in a moment. But first, this episode of the Speech Science Podcast was brought to you by Therapy Essentials, which includes the presence learning therapy platform. It's much more than your average video conferencing tool. It includes everything you need to securely and effectively deliver speech language therapy and assessments remotely. Mike, as a private practice owner, how important is using Uh, a remote tool that is safe and HIPAA compliant.
3: It's incredibly important. When you are working with students that are online and they're using the camera within their own home and their home environment, you always wanna make sure that their private health information is safe and secure.
0: Besides it being safe and secure, Presence Learning's Therapy Essentials also includes a content library full of customizable games and activities so you can personalize your therapy sessions to keep your clients engaged, the ability to upload your own therapy content, and a collaborative workspace. So Mike, those multiple camera angles, how nice would that have been to be working with your student and have multiple cameras to show what you're working on and your face? That would have been very handy back in uh, March 2020. So you can also get live in-session chat support to help keep you on track. Presence Learning Platform has everything you need to confidently build your teletherapy career. To learn more and start your free trial today, go to PresenceLearning.com, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com and click on our platform at the top of the homepage. Welcome back to Speech Science, episode number 156. I'm Matt Hot, joined, as always, by Rachel Archambault.
4: Hello. Hello.
0: And your beautiful pink new microphone. I love it. Thanks. It's a pop of color on the screen on the Zoom. And then uh, Michelle Wintering with the drab black microphone.
2: I know, I want, like, lime green or something (laughs) now.
0: And Michael McLeod with his black microphone. (laughs) What's up, dude? Hey, I've got the gray. She's got pink. I love it. All right. So I, okay. On the conversation website that I use sometimes for therapy, there is a wonderful first date questions. Mm. So I thought these would be fun to ask and we'll do three questions. All right. So, and anyone out there that is going on a date, you may use these questions if you need to. The first question is what is your fast food horror story? I like that question. Ooh, Do you have be... a fast food horror story?
2: It's not. So much... Go ahead, you go, Rachel. Michelle. No, go, oh. Michelle. Okay. Um, I guess this can kind of count as fast food, right? It was uh, an ice cream shop. Yes, that counts. I won't. I won't name the actual ice cream shop.
0: Was it Jenny's?
2: No. Okay. It was not Jenny's. Um, Did it have a drive-through? No.
0: So then it's not fast food.
2: I mean, Anywho, I just tell the story. Tell this quickly. Um I was in college my friends and I went to get ice cream and I had a gift card to use and when you're in college you walk around with like just your ID and maybe whatever you need right mm-hmm. um your key so I had the gift card I had my ID and I had my key to my dorm <laughs> like that's okay. all that I had with me because we were going to this ice cream place and I placed my order and I felt like I was on an episode of like punked or something oh, because no. it was just one thing after another so they make my milkshake and the girl goes oh well our our machines down i can't take your gift card and she expects me to pay with something else uh, and i was like i don't have anything else to pay but this gift card for your store and she's like oh well i can't take that payment and i was like do you want the milkshake back <laughs> like, i don't know and so as they're doing this the other girl is making the oh, other no. food, other ice cream for my friends. There's probably five of us and hand someone the bowl of ice cream. And she's like, we're out of spoons. You're <laughs> we're like, we're like, what do you mean you're out of spoons? And she was like, yeah, we don't have any spoons. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and so they're, they they can not take payment at least unless it's cash. Apparently they, they have, have no spoons, spoons at the ice cream so shop. The rest of the oh, people ordered milkshakes or something that didn't require a spoon. We all sit down and then we realized the two girls working there had walked out and locked the door and we were inside (laughs) the ice cream shop with no employee there. (laughs) We were just locked inside and we looked and they had walked across the street to a gas station Jesus! and they walked back and gave us spoons that they took from
0: the gas station. See, they were being nice and helpful. Yeah,
2: there you go. So that's uh, my story. It was just one thing after another.
0: My only but, horror story is I found a hair in an omelet and I ate around it.
2: I mean it was a really good omelet. Yeah. I didn't
0: want to get rid of the omelet.
2: There you go. I'm I'm okay with that.
0: <laughs> Mike, Rachel, any fast food horror stories for the first date questions?
1: Well, when Michelle started talking about an ice cream shop and I was like, oh no, because that was fine. <laughs> that my first job other than like camp counselor and everything was at an ice cream shop that had a drive through and had uh, fast food there as well. And we would make waffle cones like during my shifts. And even to this day, I can't stand the smell of a waffle cone. Like as soon as I walk in a building, I smell a waffle cone. It's like just hits me in the face.
2: <laughs> it's That's a bummer. I love
3: that. I
4: smell. love, I love now, that smell. I
3: know Love it love ruined
2: it. it. I can't handle the smell of funnel cakes anymore because I worked at a stand for oh, a sorry. long while with it.
0: Yeah. I, I can handle any food smell that I've ever worked around. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> Smells don't bother me. Yeah. I don't know. All right. One more question. Oh, Mike, what was your fast food horror story? Uh,
3: I've had a few times where I've like put in an order for pickup I remember, I remember one time I went to this fish taco place. I put in like a big order. I was starving to get, don't make that face, Matt. Come on, man. <laughs> so it's a really good place. It was really nice. It was awesome. And I went, I picked up, I got home and I clearly had, I took someone else's order and it was clearly an order <laughs> for, like, for like a five-year-old. It was like chocolate covered churros and cookies and, Aww, no, ta- dude. and no, no tacos whatsoever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: that's
3: sad
0: yeah that is actually really sad yep you are ruined I, I, some kids night i and took you didn't a little kid's dinner. meal took a little kid's meal
1: oh i was more sad that you didn't have tacos in your order that <laughs> that was devastating
0: both oh all right so we can do more of the the hot topic questions later but the conversation starters world.com is where i get these wonderful questions from all right so our second article of the night and now i can't find it is linking mono in ms and rachel you stumbled across this one what is going on and i had mono twice when i was 12 and then again when i was 16 so what's going on what do i need to look for
1: so, all that kissing man i know so Making i, out I had, with
0: drinking fountains that's what i was doing
1: i had oh, mono man in college I'm
2: sorry
0: uh,
1: she's just cracking up I had mono in college and um my brother had it shortly before so it was really not great to say oh I got mono from my brother you know it was the worst no Um, but uh so Harvard uh (laughs) School of Public Health had uh A study that came out, Epstein Barr virus may be leading cause of multiple sclerosis and um, MS is a progressive disease. It affects 2.8 million people worldwide and there's no cure to it and Matt said he had it twice. Um, I heard the rumor was you can only get it once. But then as I got older, people said, you know, it lingers in your body. It's part of the herpes simplex virus um, that stays in your body. the hypothesis is that EBV causes MS. Um, it was studied by the military that they looked at who had infections of mono. And then there was, I think it's at a 32 fold increase in the risk of MS after infection with EBV, but unchanged unchanged after infection with other viruses. Um, and
2: EBV being what Epstein, bar yes, mono. Right?
1: Yes, mm-hmm. Epstein Barr virus is mm-hmm. the the name for it. And mono mononucleosis is the term that we use. Um, but I think that's a, a big uh, EBV doesn't have a cure. So we're saying that if you have mono, um, you're at a much higher risk of of having MS. And I think this is um, it, it said that uh EBV infects approximately 95% of adults, which
2: that's crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's,
1: that's a lot. Yet MS is a relatively rare disease. So I'm not sure how that works, um, who's more at risk. But I think even just having that study of you're at a 32 fold increase of having it, I think is major.
2: And it was a longitudinal study, right? It was yes. across...
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, it said they conducted the study among 10 million young adults on active duty in the US military and identified 955 who were diagnosed with MS during their period of service um and then i think it also said that 10 about 10 years after initial mono infection they saw i guess the appearance of ms or i'm not sure uh ms symptoms began about 10 years after initial ebv infection
2: wow and then the part that i had highlighted um where they said they think the delay between that infection and the onset of MI may be partially due to the disease's quote, symptoms being undetected during the earliest stages and partially due to the evolving relationship between EBV and the hosts of the person's immune system, which is repeatedly stimulated whenever latent virus reactivates. Since you said, just like Rachel said, that virus is still, um, still there.
1: And, you know, this... Article came across my TikTok because I'm on long hauler TikTok from having COVID. Um, and I think a lot of the research is very similar that they're saying that long COVID is an inflammatory response. And I had that, that it for about six months, I was just my body was attacking itself. And the studies that they're trying to do for COVID right now, and people that are now coming up with autoimmune diseases after having COVID, I think this is a very similar thing. And they're looking to see how they've been able to pinpoint that EBV mono is a, possibly a cause of multiple sclerosis. I think this is going to be helpful in a lot of autoimmune arenas.
2: Fascinating too. And um, have, have any of you worked with patients with MS in your job? No, I,
0: I've, got, I've, I've worked Only with in grad Parkinson's, but not MS.
2: Yeah, I've worked with Parkinson's as well, but not -hmm. not MS.
1: I haven't worked with people either. I think I know more people in real life um, outside of work that have MS. And um, I know a girl my age in high school that was diagnosed with MS a few years ago. And I I believe she had mono um, in high school as well. So it's just making me think now when I'm looking at people and I think... um, Who's the actress uh, Selma Blair, right? Is uh, has multiple sclerosis, and she's got documentaries about. It. I think I saw something on Hulu or one of those streaming platforms about her race to find a cure or some treatment. And um, I, I think I know more people in in friendships than I do. I've never treated anyone with MS.
0: Crazy. So. When I dove through the, the study study, uh, and I'll have a link to that as well, they said that what they wanted to try to do also was to uh, weed out or to further explore whether immune dysregulation during the preclinical phase could increase susceptibility to viral infections. Uh, so they were doing random studies and found out that it was, or at least this shows that it was not the MS causing more susceptibility to the EPV.
2: That's a lot.
0: Interesting. I mean, it is, the more we find out about the body, the more we, I'm not surprised when we see studies like this and they say, hey, this simple thing that we thought was just a rite of passage of puberty and high school and college may actually be causing issues five, 10, or 15 years down the road. Um, It says antibodies are a strong, consistent predictor of MS risk in EBV positive individuals, even up to 15 to 20 years later as well. So, yeah, I don't know.
1: Very interesting.
0: What do you do with it? Why are you working with a patient with MS? Does this change anything that you thought? Let us know, head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. And while you're there, sign up for the Presence Learning Therapy Essentials giveaway. All right, in this part of the show, we used to call it the ASHA Spotlight, and now we have named it... ASHA. What's up, ASHA? What's up, Asha? Thank you.
2: <laughs> I wasn't here last week. I had oh, no Michelle, idea.
0: you missed it. We, renamed it. we renamed the this article or this part of the show. It's no so longer it's the Asha air. Spotlight. Sorry. It's What's Up, Asha? And this is something that has been burning a hole in the back of my brain for as long as I can remember. And it is the encroachment of our friends, the occupational therapists, into dysphagia and asha uh, according to the asha wire asha pushes back on use of ots for dysphagia therapy uh they're basically this article says that asha is now coming out to say that ots are not a solution in fixing ash or fixing dysphagia. ASHA is engaging policymakers and industry stakeholders to promote the value of the SLP, uh, responding to individual concerns, creating uh, accessible and clear resources, supporting clinician provisions, and creating opportunities for enhancement of current skills. But ASHA is also asking us to do a few things. Would you like to know what they're asking us to do as SLPs to further promote this? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Educate your boss on who should be handling dysphagia using their uh, new resources, uh, share resources based off of the code of ethics, position statements, and dysphagia FAQs, uh, expanded telepractice for dysphagia services, and then to engage directly with ASHA and they will uh, help talk to your administrator uh, one-on-one if need be. So, hey. Asha does a whole lot of things wrong and we will throw them under the bus when we need to, but freaking a finally coming out to talk about OT encroachment into dysphagia. I mean, this always upsets me because like working in the adult side, I will be asked for a diet recommendation about a patient on a Monday. And then by the time I go and see them on a Tuesday, it's, it's possible that the OT has already given diet recommendations. Mm. and it's like well then why am i even here
2: i was curious how the how asha is working with um, or advocating for slps in nicus and Mm. pediatric feeding because um, i know that at hospitals i've been in where the ot's are the ones who do a lot of the um, nicu feeding with babies
0: who is it ot's
2: Mm -hmm, A lot of Mm -hmm. them. It just depends. It depends on the hospital. It depends on the staff. Um, But yeah.
0: Uh, This says, ASHA does not support the replacement of SLPs with OTs to meet patient needs. The fact that SLPs are the most qualified providers of dysphagia services is acknowledged by payer policies, current evidence, and SLP competencies in the field.
2: Yeah.
1: There you go. I had been told once that OT's job with feeding is like from your hand to your mouth, bringing mm-hmm. something like from, the from plate. E-
2: Yes. And, and the situation, like the, because they deal with the whole setting too, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes.
1: So from your hand to your mouth, whether with a fork or however you're feeding yourself, but once it hits your lips, like that's the, spe- the speech pathologist's field.
2: Um, but and I think I- there is going to be crossover with OTs and SLPs who have been through additional training together you know especially in that co-treat sort of setting where they are going to have crossover with with oral motor and with um with intraoral and but i guess when it hits i do feel and Asha is putting that out there that speech pathologists we have that specialty in the actual swallowing mechanism
1: i'm happy that they're putting that out there i think that's a a good step for SLPs that work in the medical field, especially in those feeding Mm -hmm. um, settings that they're looking for a little bit more backup from from Asha. And I think that's a good uh, precedent. to Mm
0: -hmm. I've even heard the gray area, Rachel, is. OTs handle it until it gets to the tongue and SLPs pick it up from once it crosses the lips. So there's like a little bit of a crossover and it was mainly for like um, like texture aversion so for kids that are for kids or adults that just can't handle like Uh I guess the the sensory side so
2: well I mean that makes sense too you you said that too Matt because myself working in pediatric outpatient clinic um and co-treating a ton which one of the jobs I had um a couple of years ago, I, I co-treated with uh, OT and PT a lot, and it was wonderful. And not all settings allow you to do that. Um, but I learned, and we learned from each other, and I even had to pull up, um, this is all in a positive way, but pulled up Asha's website because my coworkers were like, Michelle, like we're not used to an SLP who even wants to touch sensory. And, um, and they were like, is that even within your scope? Because our OTs have always done Anything related to feeding and sensory, and I was like, "That's absolutely within our scope." And if you look at our uh-huh. um, our scope of practice, and you look at Asha's guidelines for that, um, it's in there. And I have been through additional training in regards to feeding and pediatric feeding, so I was like, "Wait a second! Like, I I'll find the stuff to back it up." But I know this with is within my scope, and I want to be part of that for our patient as well. And so it was such a positive interaction. This was not a negative at all, but. I was learning what her expertise was and she was learning what mine is and how we could help each other too.
0: Uh, This thing also says training OTs and dysphagia service delivery can be potentially unethical for providers and dangerous for patients. So if you as an SLP are being asked to provide the training, feel free to contact ASHA and your state regulatory agency. That seems very weak. But I understand the association side. That is really strongly worded. And I know it sounds weak, but it's the let your state agency know so then they can yell at your boss and find them and then potentially take away their license to practice. So I'm glad that didn't happen to you, Michelle. But that's what they're asking now for for dysphagia services. So I think it's a good thing. I'm on I'm on the positive on this one.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So as hey, can, I throw something in there that I didn't get to share with you, but yes, you please. Wordle earlier. Matt? Oh yeah. So yeah. A yeah. A little bit of transition. I just heard of this and I almost forgot to send it to you all and tell you, have you heard of hurdle? H E A R D L E. I think I have heard of that. Yes. It is a phonemic version of Wordle. Yes. Oh, yes. I saw pictures of it. And all right. I want to know if an SLP made this or a linguist or you know who who made this, because I think it's great.
3: I heard it was the CDC made it.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There you go.
0: Yeah. I love all these little clones of of Wordle. I really do. It's
2: Wordle.
1: So. It's all Just with Matt, the IPA. Not- Matt needs to have a section every single podcast of the hurdles. What's Which up, Erdle? Erdle, Yeah, what Correct. is he going to say
2: every time oh, he comes up with a new I one? I promise
0: you, I'm not always going to be doing it.
2: I feel like hurdle. I want to play it though. I haven't played it yet. I, uh, I don't. The, I
0: don't remember my IPA to save my life.
2: The website, but yeah. Um, Grad but school also flashbacks. because depending your accent or how you say things, you might you mm, might be using different that's IPA. A right that's true. That's um, true. Um,
0: I went to uh, leveling courses in Cleveland, well, like Kent, Ohio, at Kent State, and they told me I said the word umbrella wrong, and uh, most of my they accent it differently. (laughs) Yeah, evidently I how do I y'all how do you say umbrella?
1: No, I want to hear how you say it. Umbrella. Umbrella.
0: Yeah. See. Okay. So yeah. So you do the um (laughs) umbrella, and I'm like umbrella umbrella the,
1: oh, it's the, the emphasis on the syllable. wrong syllable
0: yes yes <laughs> evidently up there i should have said umbrella and i'm like umbrella like i
1: okay that's interesting because you... i always yell at my mom uh for saying promenade she goes promenade i'm like what is that <laughs> the what one do you that
2: mean? got
0: me in the my, rain in, in spain because i did right. leveling
2: classes as well and this was before obviously the um technology for every level online class was what it is now. Um, But I had an online class and we had for phonetics and there was no video involved. We (laughs) would hop on a live chat for part of our class every week. And so I would be reading it and not know what it was supposed to sound like.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. um,
2: For a phonetics class, right? Um, Thankfully, I had had taken linguistics before, so I had a baseline already, but Um, but that was pretty challenging to just be reading what people were typing and trying to figure it out in IPA, but the one that caught caught me is caught C-A-U-G-H-T and C-O-T. Oh yeah. Mm. I say them the same.
0: They are the same.
2: Depends on where you live in the country.
0: I caught a raccoon in my cot. I caught. Yeah. So which one is that Mike? Is that like I I slept in a cot or I caught a ball? I caught, caught a ball. Caught. If, I, if I say I, I, say I, I caught
3: I a ball. I slept on
2: a cot or I caught a ball. Like they're yeah. the same. Me too. Right. But other people would say I slept on a cot and I caught a ball.
0: Yeah, it still sounds the same. Caught to me. a ball.
2: <laughs> it's a dipthong. I
0: am such a terrible <laughs> speech therapist, everybody. <laughs> what about what do you drink
3: in the morning that you brew?
0: Coffee.
1: Coffee. 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 Caught. It's the same vowel, yeah. Wait. Coffee. How do you say the state that I live in?
3: Florida. Florida.
1: Florida? Okay. People say Florida.
2: <laughs> like Florida. You say, you say it, Florida. Florida.
1: I don't say Florida. I say Florida. Florida. But Florida. I think it's I think it's more New York that my yeah
0: that extended
1: right. family. Florida.
3: How about how about what you use to color with like a Crayola crown? Crayon.
1: Mm. Crayon.
3: Mm, not a crown. Not a crown.
1: Are you gonna say crayon? <laughs> Crayon.
0: It's I crayon. It's col- crayon.
1: I color crayon.
0: my cr- I say crayon. crayon. I use my crayon. crowns to color my crown. Crown. <laughs> crown. I think I just literally just made Michelle like shudder and just horror, horror. You had
3: a weird noise coming from your mic, bro. Yeah, yeah I was, I weird.
0: was fixing it there too. Yeah. yeah okay. Have- so that was your
3: mic yeah. hearing you say crown. <laughs> 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 All
0: right. So as we wrap this up, I want to ask you guys this. Uh, I was listening to a I, I listened to a ton of different podcasts, and they range from like wrestling podcasts to nerd podcasts to science podcasts. And they were saying in the next 40 to 60 years, the individual accent will be gone. What do you all think of that? As people that are language experts, do we believe that? The majority of accents, especially in America, I guess they was talking about American accents, will be erased in the next 40 to 60 years. And the reason they say that is the continuation or the proliferation of, of digital media, the TV news anchor who is located in California, Cleveland, Florida, New York, Boston, they all sound the same now. Are we going to see the elimination the, you know of the majority of, of accents. I kind of could see it. What do you guys think? I,
1: I don't know about the elimination of a majority of accents. I, I think if they're comparing it to 40 to 60 years and you go back 40 to 60 years, what you saw on TV was that Pan-Atlantic
4: um, mm-hmm.
1: accent that when you look at old movies and, and old um, just videos, like family videos and that accent that you're like, what is that? That we don't have that anymore. I think that they're gonna look back at how we speak and have more questions about it, but I do agree with the the media and everything that a a lot of the newer generation is starting to sound the same, no matter where they live, New York, California, the South, it's kind of molding into one. Um, But I don't think the elimination of major ones, because we have such distinct, uh, if you think of Louisiana South versus like, the Carolinas it's very very different so I don't think that it will completely eliminate but I think the the standard dialect that we have will be a little bit different the standard is going to be different
2: I think what you said with the standard is is where my brain went initially of what if we're talking about having more of a streamlined accent across all sort of social media and technology I could see I could see that being the case there being kind of a a centralized accent for that an um,
0: american accent
2: but i don't think you're gonna you're, you're never gonna eliminate i mean accents, accents get eliminated though man okay but there's still gonna be a variety right I guess, is my thought that That's there, there's gonna be a variety because there's gonna be pockets of people all over
0: mike from the uh new york area jersey area are you going to lose do you see that accent going anywhere no that's all i'm saying such a new york answer no
3: no that's ridiculous
0: i don't know man though like i having worked on the tv side i you know we would tell anchors to get rid of their accents as quickly as they could
1: Why?
0: Is that the right thing to do? Yeah, that's kind of that's that's kind of messed up, dude. So is it the right thing? I don't know, but like you have to remember that in media, there are these people that are called consultants and their job. And the idea behind the consultant is and, and I see what they're saying. But the idea behind the consultant is Rachel, when you turn on your radio in Florida and you listen to your top 40 station in Orlando, It should sound from the anchors to the topics, to the music. It should sound the same if you're in New York City or Denver, Colorado, or Seattle, Washington.
1: I don't care if it is or not. You know, I'm so close to, you know, I'm so close to Miami. So if I turn on even just my Fort Lauderdale news station and you have someone with a Miami accent, it's, I mean, it's still that news anchorish thing, but I can hear that the L's are more pronounced and and it's very different. And I still think that there's gonna be some influence and, and I understand the consultants, I think, have always said, you know, the goal of the media, like for the consultant thing is to make sure that every word is understood no matter what dialect they speak, but I think it's really not that hard to understand different accents in general. I, I don't know. I,
0: I love this kind of stuff. I love changing of times and accents. I don't know why. It, I it was makes told, and I, I don't have so anything enjoyed. to
2: base this on, but back in my undergrad with uh, communication, public relations was one of my degrees that I remember in a class with media communication, learning that the Dayton Ohio area mm-hmm. and the Columbus area accent because it's so bland and there's nothing interesting about the vowels and everything else that um, is is an accent that they'll coach um, yes. broadcasters or um, you know news anchors to speak more like
0: Midwest news anchor is what which it I is, thought is so interesting
2: yeah. because yeah but it's a very specific area of the Midwest because the Midwest has a lot of vowel. Mm-hmm. accents in different parts. I, I, so I don't, I don't know. If, I don't have some resource to cite that, but I remember learning that.
0: See my umbrella and my cot, the raccoon in the cot is correct. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We look forward to hearing from you. Make sure you head over to our website, speech science podcast.com our music tonight our intro music was please listen carefully by Jazar it's licensed under an attribution and share like license our bump music was County Fair Rock copyrighted John Deku find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music uh, the informed SLP had at the count by broke for free licensed under a creative commons attribution license and our closing music is the slow burn by Kevin McLeod licensed under a creative commons attribution license and we are still taking uh, submissions for new music is that right
2: I think yeah.
0: Yeah. So, in the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong and mighty until the storm comes and knocks it over and it breaks. The willow will bend and return to form. For fellow willows, Rachel, Michelle, Michael, the absent Marie, I am Matt Hot. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. <laughs> episode number 156 of the speech science podcast was brought to you by presence learning and their platform therapy essentials michelle how nice would it be to future proof your career
2: I mean, if by future-proof you mean options for teletherapy, then I feel like Therapy Essentials is right where it's at.
0: Well, Michelle, you're the only one of all of us who have been licensed in more than three different states, and I feel like teletherapy is right up your alley.
2: I agree with that, and I mean, especially if you're looking at trying to do teletherapy in different places with this interstate compact um, that is happening with our career with SLPs, you can do that with Therapy Essentials by Presence Learning. For more information, and you can also start a free trial, be sure to visit PresenceLearning.com and click on our platform at the top of the homepage.
4: Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts.